Single Simulcast is about a lot of things. This podcast may make you laugh, cry, or pound your fists into your desk. If you hear something you like or something you don't, leave a voicemail at 916-572-9016 or email us at singlesimulcast at gmail.com. One. Single. Simulcast. I ain't no holla back, girl. Oh. <laughs> so, Shante. Yes. How you feeling? Fine. How you doing? Cool. How you looking? Yeah. Yeah. You know, can't win them all. <laughs> oh, man. One of them uh, lazy Friday nights where you already got everything put together for you to go to. I realized over the course of the last 12 years of marriage that women put a lot more effort into getting ready for bed than guys do. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially if they got, like, a whole skincare regimen, if it's, like, like for the face, mm-hmm. then they probably got the skincare regimen, like, if they're really conscious about, like, their hands or their feet, so they're putting stuff on their hands and their feet, maybe they do, like, the whole arms and legs, you know, whether they shower or not, you know, especially depending on the season and everything, and then, uh, yeah, they got to, you know, they got to... You know, depending on what their hairstyle is, they have to wrap up their hair, you know, some kind of way, whatever that is, you know, mm-hmm. and they got to prep themselves for whatever the next day is going to be. Nisha starts getting ready for bed two hours. Before, well, not two hours. Let's be honest. It's literally three. Um, <laughs> she starts getting ready for bed at least an hour before bed. And I don't even notice it until it's too late. And then it's just like all of a sudden her hair is like laid. Unless she has the um, her twist in. If she has her twist in, then her hair still goes under. Then it just gets uh, wrapped up and put underneath the bonnet. Right. Um, but if it's if it's like done, it gets laid and twisted and wrapped around her head all nice and pretty. It looks like a hairstyle within itself. The mm-hmm. way it gets wrapped around the head and then... Uh, the face, like you said, once she walked out, oh, this is great. My beloved wife walked out of our uh, bathroom with the charcoal mask on her face. Um, <laughs> okay. And so I, doing my due diligence, immediately accused her of blackface. Um, <laughs> you see, wow. And then it turned into, I'm not wearing blackface, I'm just wearing charcoal. I see where you're going with that. And, um, so, uh, then after our kids saw the charcoal, uh, some of our other kids were like, can I wear the mask? And we were discussing who could and couldn't wear the mask. And we came to the consensus decision that Gogo can't wear the mask because she's too light. Wow. So Gogo can't take care of, you know, she can't bask in the, the charcoal mask glow. No. Because she's too light. That's yes. messed up. I don't want no. anybody else. I don't want anybody else coming into our house who may just happen to have Vine or Yelp or 
or or Reddit or or Hollaback or you know Kick or anything like that and have her go viral. But you know why people use those masks and nothing nothing really happens unless they like pop off and say something out the way. Like there's been there's been there have been women who have put on like the charcoal mask, like completely black, right? Like mm-hmm. black. Right. There have been women that wear the charcoal mask because one of them, one brand that makes it is called Bosha and they're sold at Sephora. So they're very popular. And so white women wear that mask all the time on the Internet. So Gogo should be able to wear it. It, Now, the problem, though, is that you get some white women who want to get on Snap or Instagram stories or whatever and put like a little caption and then reference black people. It, then it turned. Then it becomes blackface. I'm getting my nigger on. Basically, yeah. Yeah, and you can't see me because we're not doing video. Even though Gerald's here from the Buy Black podcast and and unburdened, um, and he knows how to do video, but we're not doing it because we're talking about getting prep for dinner or prep for bed. Um, you can't see me right now, but when we were talking about white women uh, doing that facial mask and then putting a, a quote underneath it. I'm doing the Arthur fist. It happened involuntarily. I am now stress ball squeezing a uh, foam thing that I just found on my on my computer desk, and I think that I'm going to keep it. I think this is just going to be my stress squeezer. Um, by the way, single simulcast episode 325. Uh, Shantae's here, um, and as I said, Gerald is here. Uh, yo yo, Gerald is. Um, getting ready to put out a dope new product. Gerald, why don't you go ahead and tell them something about yourself and tell them something about your products and your shows. The floor is yours. <sighs> well, first of all, before first we get in all of that, I just want to get consensus around the table that um, it is all right for white women to wear such products so long as they have a towel on their head which has their hair wrapped in it and that towel is flipped back because I feel like that's the only acceptable circumstance in which white women can recolor their face in any way and it's acceptable. Like, See, the thing is, spotting. even even then, they can't help themselves. They got to put up that, that, that comment that I'm almost ready to go pick cotton comment. Like, they can't help it. I mean, yeah, but if they were wearing like an avocado mask, would it be racist if they no. were like, oh, my God, I just came back from Mars. Bleep, 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 bleep. Like, <laughs> but no, be mad about the thing that? that I'm more concerned about is when they put on the mask and then they say, oh, my God, I look like my coworker. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's a big problem. So, you know, single simulcast episode 325. <laughs> this is Gerald. Um, <laughs> Um, host of By Black, the voice of black business. I also co-host Unburdened with Derek. And uh, as he put me out there, I am releasing a dope new product next year. It's called DopeBusinessPlan.com, designed to help you take your really uh, brilliant but very jumbled business ideas and turn them into a structured business plan so you can actually make some money with that stuff. So, uh, yeah, that's me in a nutshell. And thank you, Shantae and Derek, for having me back on the show because I love my opportunities to come hang out with y'all with Single Simon Cash. You know what? The last time you were on, I think you were a little... No, the first time you was on, you was drunk. I was. I was thawed. <laughs> I had a whole bottle of wine because that's how I get drunk in my mid-30s. Um, 
I had like it was I popped the cork before we started the show. It was gone before the show was over with. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Uh, and you know what? Um I think I'm a bad parent. I, I don't know who I talked to. Oh, I talked to Jay about this. So many podcasts are just mixing together. I talked to Jay about this on the Dream Team. I think that I'm going to be a bad parent. Because in my mind, I would much rather that my kids, if they're going to drink, then they drink at home. So then I know that they're doing it responsibly. And I've been really I, thinking about that. I, I don't know where I lean on it yet, but I'm thinking like as they get older, like Gogo 17, Nip is 18. He wants to go visit his girlfriend out in college this weekend. And I'm like, I don't want them to have their first experience be somewhere where somebody might uh, like they might get like jungle juice or something and just get alcohol poisoning and throw up and pass out or something like that. I don't know. I worry about these things. What do you think, Shanta? Well, I think, I honestly think you're in one of the two camps, I guess, as far as parenting is concerned. So I don't know if that makes you good or bad. I think there are parents who think like you, who feel like, okay, if my child is going to do this, and they acknowledge that a lot of kids do it, so their child is possibly one of those kids who is also going to do it, you know, to drink or to uh, smoke weed, I feel like, or or the parent, there's even parents who have been like, uh, they don't want, I mean, who, who are okay with their children having sex under their roof, you know, like that, but they're in that vein of if it's in my house it's okay I'd rather them do it here at home and I know that they're safe than out someplace else doing it and risking themselves getting in trouble I don't really I didn't really factor having sex in I don't know now it's kind of I don't know I don't well, know. I'm just throwing. I was just throwing out oh, know, the things that they that that parents say that they they're like, oh, well, if they're doing this here, it's okay. I think I'm a thing. centrist when it comes to this sort of thing. Like I lean this way on some of the things, and I lean all the way this way on other things. Like I'm not worried about them having sex. I'm not gonna uh, shame them or anything mm-hmm. like that if they do have sex. I just don't like the smell of butt in a room and kids. I feel like kids, like, they already smell like deodorant, or lack of deodorant, rather. And so having sex in my house just had the whole room smelling like axe and ass. And um, I don't want that. Um, But I don't know. Like, Like, the older my kids get, and the more struggles that they meet, and, and uh, Gerald and I talked about this on Unburden, I know that the more my ideas of parenting change um, because the things that my parents did to me or for me didn't really help me in the long run as far as becoming a well-rounded person. Um, I still believe that the pursuit of college is sometimes a fool's gambit, especially if college or what you want to do isn't actually, it's not necessary for you to go to college. Uh, in that case, and you're just really setting yourself back tons of money and years before you start your career. Um, but 
like those are the parents when I was younger. I was like, those parents are hippies. And now it's like, those parents may be okay. They might be all right. <laughs> but I say all that, literally, I say all that to say, even though I'm becoming a hippie parent, very liberal in my ideas, some of y'all parents can still get the Bozak. Um, I'm going to reiterate for the folks in the cheap seats, if your kid messes up egregiously enough that you feel like you need to punish them, first of all, uh, be careful in the way that you punish them. Uh, you don't want to do anything scarring. I mean, mentally scarring, uh, let alone physically. Physically, you'll go to jail. Mentally, you'll just have them uh, laid up on a couch for the next couple of years talking about their relationship with their mom. Um, but if, if you have a child that you have to discipline, for the sake of everybody in the world, just keep it to yourself. I am so, so, so tired of parents shaming their kids and then posting it up on social media. And I know we talked about this before, but people just don't seem to listen to it until it happens to their kid or happens in their neighborhood. And then all of a sudden they got opinions. Uh, there was a uh, 10-year-old girl who was suspended for school for, or suspended from riding on the school bus for harassing another student. Uh, Matt, her father, said it was her second time being punished for bullying and he needed to make sure it didn't happen again. And so this happened. Good morning and happy Monday, everyone. Well, it's a happy Monday for some of us. A little background into this video that's being shot this morning. This lovely lady is my 10-year-old daughter who has, for the second time this school year, been kicked off the school bus due to bullying another student let me make this extremely clear bullying is unacceptable especially in my household Friday when my daughter brought home her paperwork for her bus suspension she said daddy you're gonna have to take me to school next week as you see this morning she is learning otherwise a lot of children today feel that the things their parents do for them is a right and not a privilege. Such as parents taking their children to school in the morning or even... Let me go ahead and pause this real quick. Um, so then I can give a little bit more background. Uh, because, yeah, his daughter, like I said, was bullying. Uh, this is the second time she was on suspended from the school bus for harassing another student. Um, brought home the paperwork, said, Daddy, you're going to have to take me to school next week. And the dad had other plans. The dad's plans were instead to make his 10-year-old daughter walk five miles to school while he rode behind her in a truck and videotaped it or live-streamed it and then put it on Facebook. Ten-year-old girl carrying backpack, another bag in her hand that she's carrying, uh, coat, all that good stuff, walking on a no-sidewalk road down a grassy, down in the grass, five miles. I got a problem with that. And I don't know if the problem is 
the way that he handled the punishment, I'd, I'd have a problem with that too. I have a problem with the 10-year-old being made to get up in the morning and walk multiple miles when you wouldn't do it as an adult. I have a problem with you riding behind your child, like goading them. Like, what's going to happen? Are you, are, you, are you there to make sure that they do it, that they don't call an Uber? Like, what exactly is the plan here? Um, and I have a problem with the fact that he made his daughter walk to school and what he said was 36 degree weather. I have a problem with all of this. Uh, but Paramount, I have a problem with him putting it on social media. Am I wrong? What, for having a problem with it? Yeah, I mean, it's my opinion, but it's my... Do y'all think differently? Like, it, uh, Oh, no. No, I don't know. I mean, one, people... Like, just because we are in an environment or in a culture that shares things on the internet and everything, I do feel like parents need to fall back on sharing punishments on the internet. Because the punishments, if anything, they're more, if any, they're more for the parent to get comments and to get for people to say, oh, you're doing a good job and all this different kind of stuff. Like, they get, you know, they get a feel-good moment by making their child feel bad. Mm-hmm. And so they're not, and then they're not taking into account how permanent the internet is. You know, as far as these situations are concerned, where like, yeah, it, you you feel like it's a throwaway moment because they're ten, but ten years from now, somebody might find that video and make fun of the kid. They could make fun of the kid now. Mm-hmm. And so they're putting their child in an awkward position. I mean, yes, you do have to discipline your child. But I don't think the internet has to be part of your discipline. And then as far as the guy making his child walk five miles and everything, like it's one like like if you told me that dude was like, Okay, I'm gonna make her walk for ten or fifteen minutes just to show her that this is fucked up. But I'm not going to make her walk the full five miles. I don't know if that's so bad because you already you're just trying to show her that this is fucked up. This is, you know, like this is what it means if you can't ride the bus. You know, if I'm not here, how do you get to school? Mm-hmm. You know, like that kind of thing. But the full five miles, that's a long ass time to have to walk to school if he really, really, really made her walk the five miles. Like, truly made her walk the five miles. You know, and that's fucked up. And he should have kept it all. And he also should have just kept the shit off the internet. And who's to say that what he's doing to her by goading her as he's in the car and everything, who's to say that that's not bullying? Mm-hmm. So, and who's to say that they don't have, and who's to say that if he if he can do this to her, Who's to say that he's not that, that that family doesn't have an environment of bullying to it? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we we see that all the time, right? The the bully kids are trying to get some power because they feel powerless a lot of times. They they're in an environment where they are being kind of psychologically or whatever way, just kind of beat down and downtrodden so they're taking it out on other people so they can feel like they have some kind of control 
So it doesn't surprise me that this kid is habitually bullying other kids and the parents response to that is here let me publicly bully you because that's probably what she is dealing with at home I mean that's he just made it public the way that he treats his child mm-hmm. I learned it from watching you dad I learned it from watching you and that's also another thing that I don't think parents think about is how we treat children or how we see children. A lot of us, if we're not conscious of it, bully kids because we think we're bigger. We think we're old. We know we, because we know that we're bigger because we feel like we're older and we know more instead of talking to them like people, you know, in a normal tone, in a regular way, we talk crazy to them. Mm-hmm. And you know what I've noticed? I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead, go ahead. What I've noticed is that even if it's not an online thing, if you have an audience around you, like when my parents had an audience around them when I was in trouble, they got a bit more brolic. Mm-hmm. Even back in the day, like they, they get a little bit louder and they pat the, the belt on their leg a little bit more so then I knew it was coming and they make a whole little spectacle out of it. So, it's just, it's not helping anybody at all. Anybody. Like, the parents not getting anything from this. You're getting likes, but at the same time, people are now, like us, we're judging him for his actions, which, again, are wrong, Um, in in my opinion. My opinion is the show, so, you know, fuck y'all. Um... (laughs) And then his daughter, she's done it twice, dude. Like, I don't know how, I don't know how y'all feel about uh, punishments, but I know that when I got punished, I stopped doing the action for sometimes up to a month. And then as soon as y'all stop paying attention, I'm right back at it again. So if she does it again, then what are you going to do? What's the next step? Have you thought that far? Like if you do this and it doesn't take hold, what are you going to do after that? You already made her walk to school. What are you going to do next? Call the cops on her? Get her on scared straight? Go back on Facebook? Like what's your plan here? I just feel like if your kid is... Bullying somebody at the age of 10. You making them walk. Isn't really. Going to solve the issue. She'll just do it. And not do it on the bus. Or she'll find something else to do. If she's a child who's going through something. Where she has where she's bullying people. Because she's going through something. This ain't going to stop it. At all. Gerald what are your thoughts on it? I, that's it. I mean, I don't, I don't really think more. I was actually thinking about asking y'all a a different tangential question to this. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's going through my head because, um, so I have, I have a problem. This is, and y'all can correct me if I'm, if I'm on the wrong side of this, but I have a problem with, you were talking about talking to kids like people. 
with my kids particularly, if we're out somewhere, especially at some type of a function where there's other kids and there's other parents around this and the other, and something happens where one of my kids starts crying, he falls down, somebody knocks him down, this and the other, I have a huge problem with the flock of parents who run over to my kid mm-hmm. and start trying to baby him out of crying. So, oh, my God, you mean, you mean, yeah. Like, from wherever I'm at, I typically just yell, he's fine, just to get them to leave him alone because they don't know my kid. Mm-hmm. And he, when, when children a lot of times don't really get hurt, they just kind of want you to know they're hurt. They will play up that whole, um, you know, you're babying me thing, and it'll make them do more tears. You don't get the behavior. You're, you're incentivizing the bad beha- behavior, uh, and it's not bad behavior, but you're incentivizing the behavior that you're trying to stop. And it really bothers me when people baby kids who have fallen down or gotten a boo-boo or done something like that because... You could just as easily just walk up to your kid and just be like, okay, so are you hurt or are you injured? Okay, so where are you bleeding? Where? Okay, does it hurt? Yeah, kind of. Okay, so it, it kind of hurts. Is it hurt enough for you to really, like, cry? Yes? Okay, well, then we need to go sit down and we need to get you fixed up. If the answer is no, it's like, all right, well, then we'll stop crying and we'll get back to it. Like, that's how I handle interactions with my kid. Like, let's logically walk through this. Are you really hurt or did you just want me to know you're hurt? If you wanted me to know you're hurt, I know that you're hurt. What can I do to help you? Nothing? You don't need me? Okay, well, let's get back to it. And it it ends so much quicker than these eight or ten people who flock to a kid as if a, a kid with a skinned knee is now like a, a head injury patient. I don't know. This I was thinking about this. I know it's not the same as that, but what do y'all think about that? Because I know I, I kind of have a – we've talked about my – more direct upbringing and so i don't i don't go in for all of the less baby people let's talk to people like like humans you know whether they're three four five or ten or fifteen or twenty just talk to them like humans and walk them through the situation shante you want to go first like i understand i think for me uh I guess for me, I don't want to talk anybody out of how they feel. Like, if you're crying, then you're crying. And I can acknowledge that you're crying. And I can acknowledge that you're hurt. But I guess it almost sounds like you're trying to stop them from crying. And that, to me, is just like, I guess I don't, I I don't. Because it, what it sounds what it what it sounds like is it's like a step away from like old school something crying boy kind of stuff like that's what it like that's it's like it sounds like it's a step away from that now I know it's probably I know that's not where you're coming from with it but that's what it sounds like it sounds like it's it's going in that direction right. versus acknowledging you fell you're hurt I see you. I know that hurts. I've hurt, you know, oh, man, I fell down and hurt myself, too, kind of thing. Like, that kind of acknowledgement that still could be direct, but isn't stopping the emotion that the that the child is feeling. And that's what it almost sounds like. It's like, stop having this emotion. Yeah, for me, situation. so when I, when I do it, it is always tied to, 
something physical. Like when my my kids have had their feelings hurt because of things other people have done or said. And in those situations, we talk through why people said what they said, why they had lots of racism. We're here in the Midwest, right? We talk through that experience. We talk through the uh, the fact that it's going to happen uh, again and again and, and that their power kind of rests in them. And then we just let them sit in those emotions and go through them and feel whatever. We don't try to redirect any of that in those situations. Um, but for me, and I think it has to do with, um, I'm, I'm sure it has to do with the fact that I function in a way of, uh, physical pain is, uh, is all, uh, it's, it's easy to overcome and you have to just keep going. Um, so I think you're right. Like that's kind of where I'm coming from, but not stop that crying. Men don't cry. It's okay. Are you crying because you're actually hurt, hurt, or are you crying because you want us to know that you're hurt? And if you want us to know you're hurt, it's not, we'll stop crying. It's okay. So tell me how you felt and are you, does it still hurt? No. Okay. So do we, like, I, I basically try to talk them through the point of, okay, we felt pain. It made us feel bad. We can continue functioning while we are hurting everything in the world doesn't have to stop because we skinned our knee or we fell down and we did something. And you know, maybe that is, that's why I'm asking the question because that, that is where I'm coming from. Like the world doesn't stop because you fell down and you felt pain for a short period of time. I am in between both y'all, uh, because I do have to deal with kids who fall down while, during basketball practices, you know, um, or water outside playing at, at school or, or something like that. And so you do want to mitigate the amount of time that they spend in agony. Uh, I go about it a different way, uh, depending on the age group. Um, for like my for like kids who are like first and second grade I'm like oh you fell down are you, are you good are you okay and they're like no I'm hurt and I'm like on a scale of 1 to 10 you know how bad is it where 1 is I'm good and 10 is cut my arm off I can't take it and we go from there like seriously like give me a number because at that age you know numbers or happy faces or whatever maybe ought to help out um and like you said Gerald sometimes they're just want you to know that they fell. Like I've seen kids fall in one room, walk into another room to find their parents and then start crying. Um, at that time, it's like, okay, you, you just wanted them to know that you fell Uh mission achieved. What, uh, what number of pain are you in? We go from there. Um, when they are in like seventh grade and they fall down in a basketball game, I walk over and tell them about the time that I got kicked in the nuts three times in one day. The reason why I tell them about the time I got kicked in the nuts three times in one day or hit in the nuts three times in one day, once by basketball, twice by boot, um, is because it makes them start laughing. Mm-hmm. And when they start laughing, it takes their mind off of whatever situation they're in 
and they focus on something else. And sometimes that's enough for them to get up and walk off the court. If they if if I'm if I see them get injured, if I see them get hurt, and I know the severity of the injury, I will be the first person to tell everybody to back up. Give them space. Back up. Give back up. Parents, back up. Everybody, back up. I got this. But if I saw that it was something like they twisted their ankle, at that point in time, I'm like, yo, let me tell you about the time I got. And I literally opened the conversation with, yo, my whether on my team or on the other team, yo, let me tell you about the time I got kicked in the nuts three times in one game. And they their eyes get so big because they've never heard a coach say get kicked in the nuts. And then we talk. And then I'm like, are you ready to get up? And they're like, yeah, I'm good. And so I, I help them up. They limp off the court or they walk off the court or whatever it may be. And then I come back and check on them and get them some ice or whatever it may be. Um, I don't think that in any of the, in either of these situations, again, I see it from both sides, both the military aspect, the coaching aspect, and then the paternal, maternal aspect. I don't think either side is wrong. Uh, because you, I don't want people talking to my niece like she's a baby and she's, Two. I don't want people going up to her like Google Gaga. Nigga, she's two. Say words to her. She needs to hear words so she can say words. And I've been telling folks that she was like six months old. So people look at me like I'm a bully because I won't let them talk. Baby, talk to my niece. Like, don't do that. Please don't do that. Talk to her like she's an adult. Talk to her like she's a human. You know, you know and, and so... I can see people thinking that I'm being overly overzealous in that regard. I can see folks thinking that I'm uh, non-concerned when it comes to their kids being injured on the basketball court. And then I can see other people who are more like Gerald who will be like, I'm going to use that. That was good. Like, that works. On a scale of 1 to 10, where are you at? Let me tell you about the time I got kicked in the shin. So, I, I don't know. It's it's a But I know that no matter which one I do, it ain't going on social media. Yeah, that's true. Like, it will just be me and my kid and whoever else was there to see it. And if you tell on me, then we got a real issue. Because I ain't even do nothing to your kid. This ain't like that commercial where the little boy pushed the girl over. So the, the dad goes around and slaps everybody in the room. I don't want none of that work. Stay away from us, hater. <sighs> so, um, there's a thing that happens in college that is very important and I think that everybody needs to know that it happened so then they can wrap their mind around it and get it out the way uh, because now there's a movement that's trying to get this thing stopped and I am not pleased. Um, there's a movement that has started on at Notre Dame College University of Notre Dame? University of Notre Dame but it's now spread to other colleges. Um, college men have began a fight against porn on campus. The effort started at Notre Dame University in October when 80 male students penned an open letter requesting a porn filter on the campus Wi-Fi. Since then, they've received emails from more than 40 students at other universities that want to install a filter on their own campuses. Uh, Georgetown senior Amelia Irvine, a conservative firebrand, told the Daily Beast that Martinson's letter inspired her to push for something similar at her Catholic university. She plans to recruit support over the winter break and start an open letter or petition in the spring. 
Students at secular schools like Harvard, Princeton, and the University of Pennsylvania also said they were excited by the idea, but were still figuring out how they could how it will work on their campuses. At Princeton and Penn, students say they were already tabling and handing out flyers about the dangers of pornography on campus. Quote, I'm excited, and I think we could really get this done, Martinson said. And I'm also confident that if we get this done at Notre Dame, that other universities will follow, will follow suit. Do I need to say more? Or, or can I start the, the diatribe? I'm going to start the diatribe. Don't take my porn away from college. I'm a, a, a student who's many, 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 many miles from home. Um, I have no desire to really go outside of my room because my video games are there and my food is there. And sometimes if I am in need to... Okay, there's certain people, I'm not going to say who, but there's certain people who do this show who are talking right now who may or may not use certain measures to fall asleep that don't include Tylenol PM. And you can't take porn away from colleges. Otherwise, that's how you get insomniacs. <laughs> I'm concerned for their sleep habits. If you're awake at 2 o'clock in the morning, you can't go to sleep. You pop one out. All of a sudden, you're drowsy. Boom. You're ready to wake up the next morning and take your test. Uh... I call it the ultimate downer. You take a couple uppers, you need to go to sleep, pal, pop one off, and then fall out. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'm so tired because you just rubbed one out while watching porn on your campus Wi-Fi. And why do they care about what you're doing in your privacy of your own room? I mean, like, if you're in the library doing it, we talked about that last week. If you're in the library doing it, apparently Shantae and Stephanie and Jeremy have a real problem with that. But if you're or Starbucks, but if you're in your dorm room and you got a single person dorm room and it's just you, I don't, I don't, why, why stop me? Just because you don't, don't do it. But see, they're not literally being stopped though. They're being stopped from using the campus Wi-Fi. Yeah. So I mean. Unless the campus Wi-Fi is your only access to the internet, I mean, I'm sure they got phones. Yeah, that's just, true. You just hop off the Wi-Fi for that five minutes. Six and a half. I've gotten <laughs> better. I mean, you know, just hop off your Wi-Fi, use your little data, and then go to sleep. If it's like, I mean, granted, I mean, it's uh, the just the fact. That like the whole thing with Tumblr. Tumblr right now is, you know, putting the kibosh on porn. Mm -hmm. But they're not hitting actual porn. Like they're hitting, you know, like they're hitting porn and stopping it. But at the same time, if something kind of looks like in the shape of something or kind of looks like this, that's also getting blocked too. So you got, you know, you got artists who aren't doing erotica, aren't doing porn. But because whatever they drew or whatever they created kind of might maybe look like a penis, they're getting their stuff blocked. So the fact that there's not a consistent way to block it, if that's what the, you know, like there's already somebody trying to block it and they're fucking up. So the possibility that these schools are going to fuck up is is high mm -hmm. unless you just say like, OK, we are block unless you say you're blocking specific websites. If you say like we're blocking 
you know, excess this, you know, we're blocking Pornhub, we're blocking, you know, X-Hamster, that, this, blah, 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 you know, like they got a whole list, then maybe it would make sense. It could, you know, I could see it working. But then it just, it doesn't make it, it, right now, the idea to block porn off of the Wi-Fi doesn't make any sense. But I guess if you're going to do it and you pick, like, certain websites and shit, you know, I mean, it's your Wi-Fi. I mean, if they try and block certain websites, they got a lot of work to do. Because I could type porn into my computer right now. I'm not because of the viruses that will invade my shit. But, like, there's a million different ways to find porn. I'm shocked that it wasn't a thing. No, I'm not. Wreck-It Ralph, Ralph Wrecks the Internet. That's the uncut bonus shit that you only find on Pornhub. And then it gets weird because Taraji P. Henson's character, yes, is involved and all that kind of stuff. And Ralph is like, I'm a wreck-it! And uh, it just means something (laughs) completely different. And (laughs) things get dicey. Uh, Don't worry, Vanellope is not involved in this at all. Um, Just the princesses, except for Moana. Um, And... The yeah, it's a whole thing. Tumblr, you're missing out. But if you type in porn, you're gonna find ways to get the porn. And like you said, you can totally just use your data. I mean, I have data on my iPad. I guess I can do that. But why? Why? Why even do this? I can understand. Like, no, I can't. I am really, 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 really tired of religions. And schools, like religious schools, dictating and mandating what you can and can't do, what you can and can't say, what you can and can't wear. A lady got fired from a Catholic uh, preschool uh, last week because her she got her and her boyfriend announced that they were expecting, but they're not married, so they fired her. Stuff like that makes me quite sad. And it, 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 it befuddles me. Like, why do you care so much about somebody else's life? Like, I realize you're trying to save souls, but... Is this the best way? Like, you think you're really going to get me on your side by taking my porn away, bro? Bro, let's really talk about this. Like, you really think that you taking my porn away is going to make me like you more? Give me the lotion and get the fuck out of my room. Yeah, I don't know, though. I mean, you got these kids that go into a religious school. If anything, they're going to be salty. But I would think that they're going to be like, well, this sucks, but this is the nature of the beast. Like, they're telling them how to do all this other shit. Just seems like this is the next thing. I'm sorry, but as a person that went to Catholic school all the way up until I got to high school... Those are the. They are worse than any public school or any other school kids you could ever run across. I'm sorry, but that's that's a fool's errand. If you think like, well, if you go to a Catholic school, we're gonna prevent you from having porn on your computers. I swear to you, them kids will. They will start making their own porn and they will create their own internet that is separate from the Wi-Fi that taps into the Wi-Fi where they distribute their own porn that they made on the campus. Like, them little Catholic school kids are ingenuitive in their deviance. It it ain't nothing these religious schools can do that's going to stop them from being rebellious. 
Necessity is the mother of invention. And I'm telling you, if I necessitate a need to evacuate, I'm going to figure out something. And it's going to be grandiose, and it's going to be much bigger than just watching Pornhub for a good six minutes and 30 seconds, Shantae, five minutes. I don't know who you be running around with only needing five minutes for that porn. You got to actually, actually, let's be real. It's like 20 minutes because sometimes it just, the porn you start watching just doesn't do it for you. So you got to switch and then all of a sudden you come back to the first one again just to make sure that you didn't like it. And it's a whole thing. Well, bless all y'all porn loving hearts or whatever. Shanta, <laughs> I, I love mentioning stories about porn because I know you're not anti. It's just like not something that you not not a fan. And I'm yeah. like, that's cool. That's interesting to me. There is little evidence. Very little evidence that porn consumption leads to negative treatment of women. A 2007 study from the Queensland University of Technology in Australia found that the amount of pornography viewed did not predict negative attitudes towards women. And as some experts have pointed out, the rate of sexual assault has decreased in recent decades, even as porn use has soared. Uh, Yeah, let's not go into that because don't forget, a lot of the victims don't report. So, there's that. Um, But bottom line is, the push uh, for these porn filters uh, is going from school to school. Uh, it's mostly conservatives and white people who are in support of this. Isn't it interesting that the um, I, uh, individual freedom and personal responsibility, like that's what they always talk about, right? Like mm-hmm. that's what being a conservative is. Is, is every person is responsible for their self and uh, America freedom. Uh, you, you, but I control your porn intake and also what you can or cannot do with your body and uh, whether or not you can control. Um, whether or not you're going to get pregnant, and um, what what other things do we want to be able to control for you? Is it's dumb? Like the same people who their biggest complaint is government's too big. It's trying to tell me what to do with my life. Want to go tell other people what to do with their lives? I mean, that's the thing. There, I mean, like it's you know, I'm I, it's typical to me. It's typically white people and white people are consistently inconsistent. Like, Mm. that's really what it comes down to. They're consistently inconsistent. They will say one thing, and you think that this is how it's supposed to be as far as they're concerned, and you're like, okay, well, this is how they feel about this. And then this other situation will arise, and they will do the exact opposite of whatever you thought they would have done based on previous situations where they did this other thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Speaking of white people doing exactly what you expect them to do, uh, this week we do have an adventure in working with white women. <gasps> uh, so there were three black women who were walking around in Target, uh, and they passed up the hat area. And one of the women told another woman that she should try on a hat because the hat looked like the hat that Eartha Kitt wore in Boomerang. When she was trying to have sex with Mac is darling. <laughs> For those of y'all who don't remember Boomerang, that's okay. Um, 
Boomerang is a movie from the early, early 90s, maybe the late 80s, about a dog named Eddie Murphy who gets treated like dirt by uh, Robin Givens uh, while Halle Berry uh, continues to pursue him. Uh, In essence, it is about a dog, played by Eddie Murphy, who is uh, also treated as meat by a dark-skinned woman while a light-skinned good woman is sitting in the background waiting for him to come home. Long story short. Uh, So anyway, there's a scene where uh, Eartha Kitt, who was like 80 something when she made the movie. I don't I don't really know for sure, but she looked like she was 80 something. Um maybe 70 something cuz yeah, I'll say 70 something. Bottom uh, final answer scar will look. She's up. a she's an elderly woman. Yeah, she was an elderly woman who liked sex and she liked sex with younger men and the younger man she wanted to have sex with was Eddie Murphy's character and she was an executive for a um for a firm that his group, his advertising group was trying to work with. And so in order to uh, get in good with her, he slept with her. And the best part of that scene was where she said, Mac is darling. I'm not wearing any panties. So anyways, three black women talking about this movie, talking about how Eartha Kitt had sex with Eddie Murphy. And out of nowhere, a white woman uh, ran up on the three of them and jumped in their conversation uh, and told them that they needed to get out of Target because they were talking about sex in public and how they had sex in public and all that kind of stuff. And then they played, and then she played the victim. And here we go. Uh, we were having a conversation. Oh, we were having a conversation. What did we say? Exactly what did we say? Please repeat what we said. What exactly did we say? What exactly did we say? What exactly did we say? I mean, that's what you screamed out loud. That you were having sex in public. That is not what we said. Where is your hearing aid today, honey? Because you're not hearing real. I said, try this on because this looks like something Earth is out. I want to be compared to Earth is because she is. That's what I'm asking. I'm not I want us to stop okay, engaging well, come on. with the Let's stop. Let's have yes. engaging with the That's fine. Let's stop engaging with the That's very clear. I understand you're an abuser. I understand you're abusive. I understand you're abusive and you make up a lot of So they turned around and said, I don't want to engage with this white woman anymore. Can we stop engaging? Don't feed the trolls, essentially. And as they turned around, she starts saying, I understand you're an abuser. I understand you're an abuser. At which point, I would have directed her to aisle seven, where she could have gotten an order of hands. Not my hands in particular, just gloves. You know, go find some gloves. And while she went out to find gloves, I would have walked away. Um, but she kept going. I'm going to write you know, over that right down. Write down all the negative things that you guys have said yeah, about me already in our interactions. Personal attacks. I didn't realize that personal attacks were normal. I also didn't realize that talking about sex in public was normal. I didn't realize all these things. Stop talking to him. Stop talking. 
Yeah, we have a problem. Yes, ma'am. We were standing here talking, and I made a reference to Eartha Kitt. No. Ma'am, I made a reference to Eartha Kitt, and my friend said, I don't want to be compared to Eartha Kitt because she had kids in the movie. And then she said, okay, I know you're trained on lying. You're a trained But now we're talking for the court system. You're a trained liar. We asked her. We asked her to move. We said, "Please leave." And then she was actually. They said they were going to leave. They actually said they were going to leave. And when I said good, I was laughing. They were leaving because they were caught. That's about as far as the video got. But then there's more. Wait, before I go any further. Shantae, Gerald. Full disclosure, I could not hear a single thing going on in the video. I have started watching it on my end so that I can be available to talk. Oh. <laughs> Shantae, did you hear what was going on in the video? No. Did you hear the earlier video? No. N- no, not sir. At all? No, no, sir. No, sir. Y'all need to be telling me these things so I don't... Ah! We, we, we didn't want to interrupt your flow. Ah. Ah. Well, I think, well, there was part of me that was just like, just because I can't hear it doesn't mean that it's not going to be heard over the... Yeah, that's true, but Yeah, still. me too. That's why I didn't say nothing. Ah, we'll be right back. This single simulcast. Hey, this is Sherazar, a.k.a. Shami, a.k.a. Random Mess from the Third Side, also known as Some Call Me Sunshine. As always, this is Single Simulcast. You're listening to Single Simulcast with... Rashani and my mom, Shante Fabulous. Hey, this is Charlotte. Black Lives Matter. Belinda Castile, Life Matters. Single simulcast is what you're listening to. Hey, this is Marla, owner of Velvet Lips and co-founder of the Sex Down South Conference, and you are listening to Single Simulcast. Hi, I'm Fallon of FallonKitty.com. A critic and creator, and you're listening to Single Simulcast. Hey, everybody, this is uh, Rachel, not Rach, also known as at Get Off My Planet on Twitter, and you're listening to Single Simulcast, your favorite podcaster's favorite podcast, and also mine. Uh, you should check me out on my podcast with my husband at uh, wormhole underscore planet is our Twitter, uh, planetwormhole.com. Thanks for listening, and we love you guys. That was, that simply, was simply sensational. sensational. Single, Single simulcast will surely surface speedily. Bitches. <laughs> Who Raised You podcast is a kitchen table conversation between Karen, Jolly and Yang, and Treasure Shields Redmond. <laughs> As we explore how culture, family, and intersecting identities pave our way toward liberation, we want to know who raised you. We're curious and sometimes a bit irritated. Sit down. We have lots to talk about. You did something and I, I heard me. Something, 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 something. I don't something, anymore. Something, something for the honeys. A little something, something. Something for the honeys. Yeah. Guy that likes the...
I don't even know the words anymore. I can't remember the words either. Actually, that's what was just happening. I was like, "What did he say in that song?" I really don't know any of the words. Yeah, that was just, that was just. <laughs> that, all you know is, you know what? Some other honeys. You know what? I bet you we play that song as soon as we hear. It, we're gonna know the words sporadically. <laughs> I'm the kind of guy that likes to pick you up. That's not it. <laughs> in my something something truck. Put it in your butt. <laughs> that should be it that's a much better line than whatever he came up with dang Montel Jordan his one something for the honeys isn't even one of his top five songs on uh, Spotify are you serious wow. like he has he what has else? he has four other songs <laughs> let's get it on tonight <laughs> let's get it on tonight uh okay. yeah okay. Do okay. I forgot about that song Wait, this is how you do it? Is on there twice? It's like a remix? Probably because, you know, if you have a best of album. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, how the fuck does he have a best I'm of album? I don't know. Let's see what's on it. Kick back. I turn around my baseball cap. I'm a 46. Oh, my God. Yeah. Coming right back at you. Is like this something for the hunters? Yeah, he is. Yeah, That's what he did, man. He would, he would sound like he was about to rap and he'd sing Tyree Styles. This is for you and you and definitely you. I'm the type of guy who takes time to just kick back. Turn around. My baseball cap. I got cap. a 40 cent note. Oh, my God. I've So let's see. Uh, He's not worth my while. I'm so. And I know that's that I'm going to hit it and I hit it if she's with it. I get the five to the six, seven digits. Call her up for myself. And all the shit that I say. <laughs> the funny thing is, the begin when I hit the scissors. <laughs> you, you fucking called that shit. As soon as the fucking song played, it was like, I got it. Hi, this is Deshaun, aka Big Boy 1077 from Spit That Ish Podcast. It's a sports podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and um, that's about it. Uh, we've been doing it for five weeks now. It's pretty awesome. I have a co-host named Justin. We talk about everything current in sports. And um, thanks to Rashani. And this is a single simulcast. Hello. This is Stephanie from the Mocha Minutes Podcast. If you can hear my voice, that means you're tuning in to two of my faves, Rashani and Shante Fabulous of the single simulcast. Congrats. You made a really good choice today. You want to make another good choice? Check me out on the Mocha Minutes podcast. You won't be disappointed. If you're tuning in to the single simulcast, you're going to love the Mocha Minutes podcast too. You can find the Mocha Minutes podcast wherever you find your podcast. We'd love to have you tune in. Okay. Bye. Like makeup? Interested in mental health? Check out lithiumtolashes.com where I talk about my own everyday struggles with mental health and beat my face from time to time. This is Single Simulcast. Hi, this is your man Jeremy from the Crown of College Podcast, and you are listening to Single Simulcast with my man Rashani and Shante Fabulous, your favorite podcaster's favorite podcaster. And I'm your favorite podcaster, so that should be your favorite podcaster, because I'm your fave, fave, and your fave, fave. Check them out on Single Simulcast. And check out Crime of Collars, 
Find wherever you can find great podcasts and the CSPN Network. My name is Jordan Redfield Wade. Well, well, well. If it isn't the so-called people's champion. By day, I'm a philanthropist and private investigator. You risked your own life to try and protect someone who needed it. If that's what's needed to be a hero, then I want to help. But by night, I protect the people of New York City in a different way. My name, champ, is Redwing. Do I need to count the sheer number of felonies you committed today? As she lay dying, I promised my mother that I would fight for those who couldn't fight for themselves. And I refused to let her down. I would do anything to keep you safe, you know that, anything. Even murder? If that's what it took, then yes! I am the defender of Newark City. Justice is not something you can manufacture. I am Red Wing. Single Simulcast, episode 325, Shantae, Gerald, me. So basically the white woman freaked out repeatedly. And then when uh, Target customer service came over, she was like, nah, you got to understand that these folks, they be lying. They're professional liars. That's why they they work so well in the court system, because black women be lying. That was my favorite part. They be lying. That was her whole thing. Without even hearing anything else, just that they were talking about sex in a public place. I feel like she went to Notre Dame. Um, yeah, any thoughts? Shantra? White, people, white people don't know how to mind their business. They don't. Like, that's, I mean, that, like, that's, I mean, that's the bottom line. That's the bottom line with all of these stories with whether it's white women or white men rolling up on black women or black men, black children, other people of color. They do not know how to mind their damn business. That's the bottom line. They just don't like to like, yes, like it's kind of like it could possibly feel inappropriate if people are loudly in target talking about sex, like totally makes sense. At the same time, you need to go someplace else. You know, you are not the boss. You don't run target. You're not the manager. Like that's because that's really what the problem is. They don't know how to mind their business. And they think they run shit when they don't run shit. And that and so they jump bad with those two notions in their head. Constantly. And then we, and then we get these videos and these instances of them completely out of pocket. You don't run shit, Beth. So so can I can I tell y'all can I tell y'all can I can I can I, can I, can I tell y'all a little yeah, secret? Can yeah. I tell y'all a secret? Yeah. Okay. Now, now make sure nobody else is listening to this. Okay. 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 I, I I hit I hit I hit stop. I hit stop. It's just us. You're okay, in a safe okay. space. I made an old white woman cry today. That's what's up, <laughs> bro. Okay. So let me tell y'all. I'm, that's why I was so happy there was an inventors in working in white women today. Let me tell y'all what happened in my trip to the post office, the P.O. box, Pammy, as we want to call her. Um. All right, so I went to the post office today because I needed to mail something out to somebody who bought something from me. When I get in there, like, as I'm walking in, it's a post office that has two lines. One of them is for passports, and it says passports over the top of it. And one of them is for mailing shit. 
and it says mail shit here. And then there's a whole bunch of stuff behind that where you could put stuff that's being mailed. Over where it says passports, there's nothing over there except a, a woman and passports. And all these people was lined up over at the passport side. And a man walked in, and he walked right up to the front of that line, and he got help. You know why? Because he had an appointment for his passport. And then this woman got all mouthy, like, I've been standing here for blah, 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 blah. And the wonderful black woman who was doing her job, nice post office government employee who was like, this is what it is. I have a job to do. It's Christmas time. I don't have time to, to mess with your feelings. This is the line for passports. If you want to mail stuff, go over there to the line for mailing stuff. Period. Dot. So by that time, this woman who apparently been waiting forever was like, oh, well, I have to go over there. And all these people were in line in front of her, including me. And as she's walking away, she says to the black woman, um, you know, you are just such a nice person. Now I know why everybody loves coming to the post office. And the woman said, you know what, ma'am? You are nice, too. You have a nice day. And she <laughs> said, I am not. I'm not nice. And she was like, okay, well, then you're not nice. That's I'm gangster. Right? <laughs> right? And, and then she just, and the black woman went along helping her people. Now this lady, who had to be in her 60s, is standing behind me, and she is talking shit about this black woman to the other two white women who are there in line behind, just like they're 12 years old. I mean, just let's loudly talk about how mean she is or how bad this was or how she did something wrong, and I'm just standing there like, okay, I'm cool, I'm cool, I'm cool. They'll stop eventually, and then they'll stop for a few minutes, and then they start talking about it again, and then again, and then again. And it would not stop. This is a quite a long line. Now, this is where the tipping point <laughs> happened for me. When um, there was a man and he had a little boy and they were over there and they're working with this black lady. And she talks to the little boy. He's maybe three years old. And it's like, oh, have you been good this year? What did you ask Santa for? Like having the same kinds of conversations that normal people have with kids. And she started talking to him and singing with him and this and the other. The kids having a good old time. And this chick behind me is going to say, oh, she knows we're all pissed at her. Now she's just being a fool. And the other woman next to her said, well, I, I just, maybe she's just not on her medications right now. And that was what put me over mm. the edge. Mm -hmm. I turned around and I said... All of y'all need to shut your mouths right now. Leave this woman alone. She is here to do her job. Shut your mouth. Walk through the line. Get your package sent so we can get out of here. You don't need to say another word. Y'all are the ones who are being bitchy, not her. And yes, I did say bitchy. Normally, I don't use that talking to women. But you know what? I was up and over it, and I said, you know what? That's what you're being. That's what you're going to get told today. The woman standing right behind me says, well, maybe you need to take your own advice. I said, woman, I have been standing here this entire time. I haven't said a word. Well, you're making up for it a lot right now, aren't you? I said, you need to take a lesson from me. Shut your mouth. Don't say another word. I talked to her like she was three years old. Guess what she didn't do? Say another word. <laughs> and then I went and I did, went to do my package. And almost like two minutes after that, the woman on the other side said, okay, I'm done with all the passport people. I can take the next person in line. Guess who the next person in line was? It was White this woman. woman. <laughs> yes. And, and she stood there. Now, I didn't turn around because I'm busy doing my thing because I don't care what's going on in this woman's life. But apparently she just stood there looking 
And the black lady said, okay, if you don't want me to help you, that's absolutely fine. You can just stay over there, go to that line. I'll take the next person in line. So the woman starts sucking her way over there, and I hear, all I want to get is some stamps. And I'm like, you just spent <laughs> 15 minutes trying to make this woman feel bad about herself. And all it took was somebody to look you in the face and say, you're a bad person. Shut your mouth. Stop being mean. And, uh, and suddenly you want to cry all over the place and be the victim. I, I was so happy. I left, that, I left that post office and I felt like I had done my part in the world of just letting one of these people know you don't own shit. You don't get to just go around and treat people however and then walk off like you did your good due diligence of the day. I made a black woman feel bad about herself by talking about her mental health. No. I'm going to put you in your place. I'm going to publicly shame you. What you going to say to me? I'm six foot four. I'm 230 pounds and I'm black. What you going to say to me? Nothing. You're going to sit there and cry because somebody called you out. Somebody should have did that to you 50 years ago. Anyway, that was my day. Everything's working with white women, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. The bottom line is this. White women, know your place. Know your place. Like, unfortunately, your place is no longer... Like just being able like, to just, tell everybody what to do. Just yeah, we ain't have your it. place is where everybody else's place is. It's not saying you're below anybody else. It's you are literally no better or worse than the rest of us. Mm-hmm. We all walk through life minding our own goddamn business. Do that, and we you all good. Can do this. It's not rocket science, ladies and gentlemen. The art of shutteth the fucketh up. Is available to all of you. Y'all just don't want to take the classes. <laughs> That's really it. Like everybody, look. So there's this white woman in my job. I never really talk about this, but since we're doing adventures and working with white women, why not? She, who will not be named because I never know who's listening at my job. Um, the like first couple of weeks I was working there, like. I made a mistake on a on an invoice and emailed it over to the person who processed them. And the person sent it back to me and was like, yo, you made a mistake. Here's a mistake. And I was like, all right, cool. Thank you. And for some reason, this woman CC'd this other white woman. Because like, the other white woman was the one who was training me on how to do it. But I was no longer being trained. So maybe she just thought I was still being trained and she sent it to this other white woman. The other white woman decides to hop on the email and says, now I've told you. This is what you should be doing. When are you going to get this straight? And so I walked from my office to her office. And, you know, just kind of ever so gently and bluntly said, nobody was talking to you. Nobody cares about your thoughts. Nobody cares about your opinion. Let me reiterate. I was not talking to you. And she was like, oh, well, um, I just... I didn't, I didn't mean anything by it. And then I walked away and I walked to talk to another woman who worked in her area. And, um, I was talking to the other woman about something. It was like a couple years ago. And this white woman gets up and hops in our conversation like nothing happened. And she wasn't a part of the conversation. Nobody invited her into the conversation. She just made herself a part of the conversation. I was like, oh, I get it. You're one of those folks. Whole temperance change. 
What do you mean I'm one of those folks? What folks are you talking about? Oh, I'm sorry. You misunderstood. You're one of those folks who can't mind their own business. And now that I know that you can't mind your own business, I know how to deal with you. So thank you for that. Well, you've insulted me, so now I want to talk to the manager. So she took me to the manager and cried and hemmed and hawed and was like, I taught him everything he knows and he owes me some respect. And I was like, white woman, you tripping. I haven't spoken to that woman in a good three years now. Because once you show me what type of person you are, it's not like I'm going to go back and be that fool again. So white women just stay overstepping the bounds. Like, I, I see the line, but I think that if I just crawl to it, I, I can step over it. I can I can break those bonds. And it's like, nah, stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. I feel like uh, Frozone after he was like, I'm good. I'm good. Like, <laughs> just stay in your lane. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not here for that. Stay in your lane. So there's a pastor out in Kansas City which is in the Midwest, but it's not really, um, who was, before I say this, let me just start this with a subtitle that everybody's in the wrong in this conversation, okay? It's important that y'all know that. Rashani thinks everybody's in the wrong, okay? If you have any questions about that, you can go take them to the brick wall behind your house. A lady named uh, Beatrice Allen uh, was a mother and a grandmother, hardworking and fiercely religious. And when she died last September at the age of 90, her family struggled to accept that she will no longer be a part of their lives. They also didn't expect that they wouldn't be a part of her will. See, when she died, she had left her pastor, John Wright, the power of attorney for all of her stuff. Mm. And somehow, her will was then written so then all her stuff, her house, her money, her car, her everything went to the pastor. For nearly 40 years, Wright has been the pastor of Metro Church in Kansas City uh, where Allen was a longtime member. And she trusted him so completely that in 2003, after suffering four strokes, she gave him power of attorney. Uh, he took over all her finances and paid her bills. Uh, she felt like he had more means, said her only child. He had a car to pick up prescriptions. Uh, it wasn't until Alan's death that her grandson and granddaughter saw another side of the pastor, a man whose church they had once attended. Shortly after her mother's death, uh, James called the pastor to ask about her mother's bank account. The pastor said it was none of her business. That's when she first learned her mother had a will leaving everything to right. Hoyle said she asked the he asked the pastor who drew this up because my grandmother can't talk or write or read so who drew this up? He said that her attorney had, and I said who is her attorney because I've never heard of him. He refused to speak any more on it. They said the pastor wouldn't even let them see a copy of the will, even though by law the holder of a will must file it with the Missouri Probate Court. The pastor also wouldn't tell them how much the estate was worth. Now. Now, everything sounds like the pastor's the jerk. And the pastor is a jerk because he's a pastor. But, 
the daughter acknowledged that there was a period when she and her mother hadn't been close. The senior center where Allen uh, spent most of her days confirmed to the news that the pastor was handling Allen's affairs and would often call to check in on her, come and stop by, etc. Her daughter hadn't been close and hadn't seen her except for when they had made up in the past seven years. So, on the one hand, the pastor took advantage of an older woman, I guess, an old woman. But on the other hand, the daughter wasn't there to be the power of attorney. And even when she was there, um, she wasn't clean and sober. Uh, she just got clean and sober. She said, I'm clean and sober and have been for many years. So maybe the mom didn't trust the daughter with her power of attorney. But the pastor's dirty. Like, even if they're both in the wrong, the pastor's more in the wrong for putting all the stuff towards himself. Oh, by the way, she's white or she's black. Oh, yeah. The pastor's white. I don't know how much of a bearing that has on any of this, but I bet y'all thought it was a greedy black pastor, but it's not. Thoughts? Well, mm. yeah. Pastor is, I mean, the pastor is shady, and it's unfortunate that the daughter wasn't in the mind state or what didn't have the ability to be possibly trusted by the mother to execute the whole power of attorney I still it's just like why not just ugh, why not just get like an attorney or so or just someone that isn't your pastor I guess <laughs> or why not have it set up where your children are going to be taken care of if there's enough money for them to have something i don't i don't know i don't know but it's always that's weird. the problem is as soon as as soon as she gave him power of attorney whatever will she had if she had one at that point all he had to do was just go and and rewrite it like i don't i don't at all think that she had a will that said i want all my stuff to go to this pastor once she gave him power of attorney she gave him power to decide the destiny of all of her things like yeah. i i only put all of this on the pastor like it's not that the woman was wrong because people have family members and children who go off on bad paths all the time. <clears throat> what they do is they put money aside in a trust for them and say, you only get access to this once you have been X, Y, Z sober for however many years and you have this going on. So if anything, I think if this woman had the faculties to do it, she would have said, I don't trust my daughter to, um, to handle my estate. But I most definitely want to make sure that what I have acquired in my life goes to my children. Maybe I need a trust until they're ready for it. But I doubt highly that this woman wanted the pastor to be her power of attorney because she wanted him to have everything that she had acquired in her life. Right. Mm -hmm. I just don't trust pastors. I think that's my big issue. I don't like them. I don't need to go into detail. They've done some fuck shit. But, in case of emergency, uh, just don't trust the pastor. Anybody who says that they are the middleman between you and God is full of shit. And trying to get your money. 
speaking of trying to get your money, so there's this guy, uh, Two Millie. He's a rapper. Uh, he made a song because he's a rapper. The song is Millie Rock. Uh, the song has a dance that goes with it called the Millie Rock. And the Millie Rock has become viral. Like it's all over the place. Including Fortnite. And that's the problem. Because the dance made it on the Fortnite. But the profits for the dance didn't make the two Millie. So now he has filed a lawsuit on Wednesday against Epic Games Incorporated. Claiming that the artist invented the move, the Millie Rock. And it was used without permission in the company's massively popular online game, Fortnite. Fortnite has taken the dance, the Millie Rock, and has renamed it Swipe It. Oh, wow. Uh, if you look at the actual dance, Swipe It, it looks, it's exactly the Millie Rock. And there's a conversation that is now going on um, about the unauthorized misappropriation of Ferguson's highly popular dance craze, the Millie Rock, uh, in their video game Fortnite Battle Royale. Epic has unfairly profited from exploiting Ferguson, his real name is, his legal name is Terrence Ferguson, Ferguson's protected creative expression and likeness. Two Millie says he invented the Millie Rock in 2011. He featured in his 2014 music video, and since then the dance has taken off. It's been performed on stage by other rappers, name-checked in the popular rap, and taken up by enthusiastic young fans. While Fortnite, and here's the problem, while Fortnite is free to play and download, gamers can spend real money to purchase costumes and other virtual additions to their digital avatars. Uh, and they have. Fortnite has made Epic Games more than $1 billion. Those add-ons include dance moves like Swipe It that was added to the game in July. There are other uh, black artists uh, in the legal filing or listed in the legal filing whose dancing it claims Epic Games have also copied, including Snoop Dogg, Will Smith, and Alfonso Ribeiro. Chance the Rapper has also been critical of the makers of Fortnite for not playing original music from artists whose dancing allegedly inspired the moves in a video game. Quote, Fortnite should put the actual rap songs behind the dance to make them so much money as emotes. Black, creators, black creatives created and popularized these dances but never monetized them. Imagine the money people are spending on these emotes being shared with the artists who made them. My son plays Fortnite, as I'm sure a lot of people's sons do. And so I see these dances. I see kids doing the dance. I see kids doing the dance to basketball games. But I also see kids doing the dances on YouTube to the videos of the people who first did the dance. Like, the original Fortnite dance actually came from the TV show Scrubs back in the early 2000s. And the guy who made the dance, Donald Faison, uh, said that he never got paid for it. And it's now to the point where people don't even believe that he came up with the dance. 
that Fortnite's the person or the group who came up with the dance, and he's lying when he said that he's the one who came up with it. So he's also uh, put out, for a lack mm -hmm. of a better term. Do y'all think that rappers or dance originators should be paid for uh, their dances? Do you feel like Fortnite has appropriated people's dances? Because when I tell you about the comments for this story, you're going to be quite put out. I think, I like, for this, the Millie Rock, I feel like that dance is a very, very, very unique dance. You know? Mm -hmm. And so I feel like that kid has some, I think his thing holds weight. And I think some of the other dances that I feel like I haven't ever seen other people do, it doesn't seem like it's like something else. I think it holds weight. It's just that I think his probably definitely holds weight because he can point to it and say, like, that's mine. Compared to maybe somebody else who I don't know if, because I think Snoop's is on there. I don't know if that particular gesture works as far as Snoop is concerned. Because it do, I don't know if that, that dance doesn't necessarily, like that, that motion, because that, it just seems like he's just like the motion of like uh, driving. That's what, that's what, I think that's what the dance is. It's like he's moving his arms kind of in a back and forth kind of way. And that doesn't seem unique or whatever. But the Millie Rock, this thing does seem unique. I think the thing, if they're, if the, whoever the, the, what is it that, that floss thing mm -hmm. that kids do, that seems unique. You know, when they're doing that kick thing, when they're doing their hand and everything, that seems unique. So if somebody can say like, yo, I did that in 2011 or I did that in 2010 or they took that from me, I don't think there's anything wrong with the with this Terrence kid, with this Ferguson kid saying, y'all took that and it should be mine. Especially if they're, it'd be one thing if the dance was on Fortnite, like this was just a, a regular emote. You download the game and this is what you get. And you can have this Millie Rock dance. You know, but you gotta pay for it. Because I think the the dance, it's just, it's one dance when you download Fortnite. That's one emote. So everything else you have to pay for. So the fact that they're charging for this kid's dance, he should get a cut. He should get some money. Or he at least is, I think he has grounds to sue. Whether or not a judge is going to go for it and everything, because of course it's going to depend on how they feel about uh, intellectual property. And I think it's going to be hard to try to... Uh, say a dance is intellectual property the way <coughs> the way something written is intellectual property or the way something that is uh, recorded is intellectual property <coughs> excuse me are, are you okay? But I, yeah I'm fine but I think he's okay. got I think he's got a chance Joe thoughts? Yeah, I don't think it's that hard. I think you get the right lawyer uh, with the right strategy, and I, I think it's a really easy case to make because, I mean, it's been at least a decade, maybe 15 years, since we have started having 
like that's the whole thing in rap now is I can be a really horrible lyricist and have no skills at all but if I can make a unique dance and put the words to how to do that dance into a song and then make a video of me doing the dance and telling you that I can teach you how to do that dance or that you can Superman that O, uh, whatever it is. Like, in rappers' entire careers are being made off of making up a dance and then doing a song about doing the dance. So, heck yes, that's an intellectual property. It's make It makes them money. So if Millie Rock has this dance and that's a part of his brand that's a part of what he's selling himself on another company coming and taking that intellectual property making money on it and giving him no money for that that's an easy case to me um because the the precedent has already been set in the industry i just want to get paid because um i i don't know how many People have made dances that are on Fortnite. I know that there's a lot of dances on Fortnite. I know that I've seen one. And the floss dance, I know that there was a, a young man who was doing it during Katy Perry's performance for one of her, like, I, I don't know, it was one of the music award shows, but there was a kid who was out there flossing. He became known as Floss Kid. So he's not even black. I'd like for him to get paid. I'd like for anybody who invented a dance to get paid for their work because that's still something that you have to create. And I want creatives to get paid for their work because creatives are starting to, it's starting to become a thing where people just believe that creatives want to do stuff for the exposure. And the answer is no, the fuck we don't. Pay us. Pay them. Pay these rappers. Uh, it, it's not a huge chunk of your money, but if you pay them each like a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, if you're a billion dollar company, a million's not going to change your life. Um, maybe give them a residual stock option, something. But to just stay silent about it makes it really seem like you're aware of it, but you just don't want to speak on it because you know you're wrong. And this has been going on for a while. Like you said, Shantae, I don't know what kind of power Snoop will have. But if I look at the Fortnite dances, and I've had kids do uh, Fortnite dance challenges for Kid Austin's birthday party and all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of those dances. I'm like, I recognize that dance. Even the one that you were talking about, Shantae, I think it's where you pump your fist down and kick your legs out to the side and whatnot. Mm. I was doing that dance when I was eight. I just thought it was a fun thing to do. Like, I don't know who invented it. I could take credit for it. If nobody else did it, nigga, I was doing it when I was eight. But some of these dances are all over YouTube, so they have a, at the very least, an inception date. And most of their inception dates go past the inception of Fortnite. Which means that it's clear that you took it from somebody. Pay what you owe, Santa. Pay what you owe. <laughs> the only problem is, I think that they're scared that they have to pay one person. They're going to have to pay everybody. And I think that other companies are scared that uh, if they pay if they give in and they pay this money it's going to change the fabric of um something like 
I, I guess, like they're scared that if they cede this power, then somebody else is going to come looking for money for something else they stole from them. But I'm like, stop stealing, nigga. Yeah, it should change the fabric of it. I mean, we, we're already in a an economy that is a crowd-funded economy. Like, creativity no longer only gets to live in New York and Los Angeles. People all over the country are literally creating things that become part of the mainstream media and part of the economy. Like, you don't get to control everything anymore. So when you see somebody do something awesome on the interwebs and you want to use it, pay that person a percentage and then use it. Period. More people get more money. It ain't that hard. Any uh, other thoughts, Shante? No. Okay. I'm Millie Rock on any block. Yeah. I'm Millie Rock on any block. So, um, Centoya Brown was a young lady who was, is a young lady who was put up for adoption at the age of two. Uh, and her life after that has been just, first of all, trigger warnings. Um, we're about to talk about, uh, sexual assault. And I do want to make that known before we even go into it. So, uh, I'm going to say Millie Rock six more times. And then we're going to begin. This is probably going to go about 10 minutes or so. Millie Rock. Millie Rock. Millie Rock. Millie Rock. Millie Rock. Millie Rock. So at the age of 16. Centoya Brown was sold as a sex slave to a 43 year old Nashville realtor uh, named Johnny Mitchell Allen. She was subjected to more abuse by Allen, uh, and there was a documentary made about her life, and in that, she described the abuse and how it made her paranoid. Uh, in 2004, she was tried as an adult for killing Allen. She said she shot him because she feared that he was going to kill her. During the trial, she said that there was always a gun pointed at her during her captivity. She said she was hit, choked, and dragged. She feared for her own life, and she acted out of that fear. It didn't matter. A jury convicted the then 16-year-old to life in prison. Under the then-Tennessee law, she would only be eligible for release after serving 51 years of her sentence. The law in Tennessee has since changed. Now anyone 18 or younger cannot even be charged with prostitution, and that change in law came about because of Brown's case. Still, it has done little to help Brown out. Many people have been lobbying to get Centoya Brown free, including celebrities such as Rihanna and Kim Kardashian West. Kardashian West even paid for the services of former O.J. Simpson Dream Team member Sean Holly to help with Brown's case. Brown was granted a clemency hearing in May, but the six-member Tennessee Board of Parole was split on the recommendation to free her. Two members voted for a clemency, Two voted to deny clemency, and two voted to make her eligible for parole after she served 25 years of her sentence. 
A U.S. Supreme Court opinion in 2012 deemed mandatory life sentences without parole for juvenile offenders to be unconstitutional, and it is that opinion that Brown cited in a lawsuit seeking her freedom. The Tennessee Supreme Court ruled in that case on Thursday, and in a unanimous decision, the five justices said that Brown would indeed have to complete the 51 years of her sentence before she was eligible for release. In the statement, the court explained that under Tennessee law, a life sentence is considered 60 years, and that a 60-year sentence can be reduced by up to 15% by earning sentence credits such as recognition for good behavior or participation in educational or vocational training programs. Brown's motion had previously been denied by a, a district court, which pointed out that she wasn't sentenced to life without parole, just a life sentence. Her case is still pending judgment in the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. It just... I. So the law gets changed to in in large part because of what happened to Miss Brown. But they still won't let her out because reasons. Have y'all heard anything about this? Just just what you've uh just what you've told us just now. Same here. Yeah. And it's just, it's frustrating to me that in a day where so many people, well, not so many people, but people who don't deserve it at all can get pardoned by the president, this young lady, this lady who has been through so much in her life cannot get pardoned, cannot get justice, cannot get freed because she happens to live in one of the most racist states. I don't care what you say. In the United States of America. Period. Any thoughts? I mean, I think this just goes back to the whole... That they are... You know, that white people are consistently inconsistent. You know? Because... Here it is, you've changed the law, but the law doesn't apply to Centonia. Mm-hmm. You know... Or, or you have these situations where, you know, people are legalizing uh, marijuana, but in some places, they're not vacating the marijuana charges and sentencing and everything of people who are in prison now for marijuana. Some places are, but some places, you know, that's not really on their agenda as far as, you know marijuana and stuff is concerned as far as the law changing and having that law apply to previous situations. So, I mean, you know, bottom line, it just sucks. That's, I mean, that's really what it is. It sucks because then you got these people who probably profess to care about children who care about um, sex trafficking and here it is that this girl was put in this situation and that is completely out the window as far as they're concerned. 
and it's basically, I mean, they're basically treating the situation as if she was an adult with another adult, and she just killed this adult in cold blood with no other anything around it, even though there's this whole situation with how she came in contact with this man, how this man was treating her, and who she is as a 16-year-old person. You know, but if it was somebody else, it would probably be a totally different story, a totally different situation. They would be upset. You know, maybe if it was a white girl, they would be upset. You know, maybe if it was, maybe if it was a boy, they would be upset. You know, but it's a black girl and, you know, she got to go to jail. Thoughts, Gerald? Uh, no, not really. It's just, I've been on one today and I, this makes me want to go on another one and I don't, I don't have the energy, but very much what Shantae said. And I think it's not, maybe it's definitely like the reason she's, I'm, I'm assuming this is a black girl. Mm -hmm. What color was the guy that she killed? Uh, let's check. Pretty sure he's white, but let's check. Johnny Mitchell Allen. Go ahead and keep talking while I look. Oh, I, I'm this. That's literally going to determine the next words I have to say. Ah, um. Johnny Mitchell Allen. Show me a picture. Yep. Wait. Is he or is he just really light skin? Uh oh. Dang. He just happens to look like. A cross between Keanu Reeves and Lionel Richie. Hmm. Wow. That's uh, really light skinned. And it's kind of hard to determine if he's black or not. Okay. But he is a man. We he do know a, oh, this. Yes. Lord, yes. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I mean. It, this uh, I don't want to go on this whole tangent I'm going to let it go let's just put it like this this whole country everything about this country was founded and all the laws have been written and executed in such a way as to protect white women that's that's basically what the United States is is, is a bunch of laws that are designed to protect white women and from everybody except white men and to use white men in order to hurt everybody else in order to protect the sanctity of the white woman. That's basically all of the laws of the United States over the course of history. That's what they do. And if they don't do that on writing, then they're executed in that way. So that being the case, you have a black woman who has killed a man to protect herself she doesn't fall into that the laws are here for you 
So even when we change a law because of you, the law hasn't been changed in order to help you. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, there we could say it's consistently inconsistent, or you could just say they're consistent. There are things that matter. There are lives that matter, and there are lives and things that don't. And even when laws say these lives should matter, there's always an excuse for those lives not to matter if those lives don't belong to white women or white men. Period. Dot. End of story. These things have been getting summed up so quickly. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I just. Philip, like we're just getting through this really quickly. So, do I want to talk about this yet? You know, I, I want to talk about this first. So, Neil deGrasse Tyson is uh, allegedly a piece of shit. Um, like four women so far have come forward and said that he. Uh, sexually harassed them. Uh, one woman said that he sexually assaulted her in the 80s. Um, Neil deGrasse Tyson uh, decided that it was in his best interest to post up uh, his response on Facebook to explain himself. And his explanation was just creepy. Like, it was bad. Uh, One of the women was his assistant uh, that he uh, was friends with. She thought he was a charismatic and friendly guy until the night of May 16th, which he then invited her out to his apartment to unwind over a bottle of wine. Uh, She felt uncomfortable as he gazed into her eyes and held her wrist to feel her... Feel her spirit connection. And as she was leaving, he took her by the shoulders and said, quote, I want to hug you so bad right now, but I know that if I do, I'll just want more. I don't want to read any more of them, but there are more statements. Um, BuzzFeed talked to 30 people for their story. Uh, Many of the people interviewed lamented the prospect that damaging allegations might take down the world's most famous living scientists and perhaps the most famous black scientists in history. Uh, But for Watson and Allers, the the tragedy was a loss of a different black scientist, uh, one of the other women who he sexually assaulted, Amet. I, I I just want to say that I don't I don't care if you're the biggest scientist in the world, the the foremost black scientist in the world, you're a superstar, or anything like that. Y'all are trash until proven otherwise, and I don't know how else to put that. Um. A lot of folks that I've been running into on the um, internet have been saying stuff like, when I was young, I did dumb stuff like this, but then I grew up. 
And I like to say when I was when I was young, I did dumb stuff like stick a whip a can of whipped cream into my mouth and spray it into my mouth, or drive with my kneecaps while I was eating a burger. I still do that. Me too. Or uh, talk back and talk under my breath when I got chastised or punished by my parents. What I got I, caught one time. That wasn't good. What I what I what I've never done in my entire ever is sexually assault somebody or make them feel uncomfortable or unsafe in my presence. And no matter what you say, you doing that is not something like like the whole idea that I, I you just make me lose control. No, they don't. Mm-hmm. You make yourself lose control. I can keep controlling myself and my wife is standing right next to me. And she's amazeballs. If I can keep control next to her. if I, I, You know what's funny? It's really not. But a statement. People who talk about how they lose control... When they are standing next to an attractive woman, are the same people who um, are strangely able to control their urges when they are standing next to their mom, their sister, somebody they don't find attractive, uh, pizza when they know it's not theirs. Uh, a, a bank where the door is open and, and you can see the safe. I'm, I'm just saying, if you have trouble with keeping control, controlling your urges when you're around a beautiful woman or when you're around a woman, period, but you can con- keep controlling all these other things, I don't believe you. If you just have absolute, like, a lack of impulse control, okay. If it's documented, okay. I, I can see that. But if you just do this when you're around, like, certain women, you're a creep. I think that sums it up. Shantae, Gerald, y'all got anything? Yeah, make it sound like creep. That's, I mean, that's really what it seems like what it comes down to. and And it doesn't, and it does not matter that he's, like, you know the black scientist like fuck that nigga <laughs> like there's other black you know there's other black scientists and that's the other thing that like what you're saying uh the possibility that he that he's being taken you know like here he is black scientists being taken down but the other scientists that you know the women who he came in contact with are the ones who have had their their careers possibly derailed, whether he derailed it, if that's if that's what happened, or just the whole um, the trauma of the situation has derailed their aspirations of being a scientist. And I feel like that's what happens with women who come in contact with powerful men who decide that because they're a dude and she's a woman, and they're attracted, that they can make her feel uncomfortable, and then they can act upon that whole thing, and then they fuck up their 
they fuck up the woman. They fuck up her. They they act. You know, they either actively derail her career, or because of the situation, she can no longer feel comfortable pursuing what she intended to pursue. You know, that's where we lose is these dudes fucking up these women's career. Like, who knows what that woman could have been if she wanted to be a scientist. She could have invented something. She could have created something. She could have helped with something. But she had to deal with the fact that he couldn't not whatever stop himself from making her uncomfortable. And now we're in, and now he's in this situation. And she's in her situation. Gerald? I, I don't really have anything on this one either because um, I know for me personally, the last three years of my life has been a huge learning experience in. Um, in empathy and seeing things through the eyes of people who are not me. Um, I've learned a lot about the exactly what Shante was just talking about. The long-term effects on people when they are put in a situation where I just want to come to work, I just want to do great things at work, or I just want to go to school, or I just want to exist in the world and just do, like, be my own happy self making stuff happen. But everywhere I go, there's a dude who's trying to have sex with me. And some of those dudes are in positions that can impact whether or not I can just come to work or I can just go to where I want to be and just enjoy myself without having to constantly be in a shell and I don't want to live my life like that. So I'm just not going to do this thing anymore. Like that. I in full honesty. I never thought at all about that. And now every time I hear a story about another one of these guys, I'm just like, how many lives have you destroyed because you wanted to, you wanted to have sex and I just get mad and then I get sad and I don't really have much else to say about it. It's just hearing stories like this. Now it just kind of takes me to a place where I, I'm thinking about all of those people. I just felt like that needed a moment to sink in. Um, so I don't know how I'm even gonna play this so y'all can't hear it. But Kevin Hart uh was selected to be the host of the two thousand nineteen Oscars. Uh, I believe he was selected on Tuesday, maybe Wednesday. Uh, he was uh, then found to have said a bunch 
of offensive things uh, about LGBTQIA folks uh, on Twitter. And in his comedy routine. And just on Twitter. Now, the offensive things were uh, transphobic, homophobic, things of that nature. And when he was, uh, when it was found out that he had uh, said these things, the Academy asked him to apologize. And he said, no, I'm good. I am in a good place. I thought that was special. I'm in a good place. I'm not going to apologize. Y'all ain't going to bring me down right now. Um, in the midst of these, of his statement that he's in a good place and we're not going to bring him down right now. Other people uh, gave their two cents worth. Uh, poses are MJ Rodriguez uh, from the show Pose uh, said that she doesn't think he should lose his hosting duties over the tweets. Uh, quote, that's a hard topic for me because I'm a big fan of Kevin Hart and I know that he probably didn't mean any malice by it. But I think that an apology is due if it has been given before, uh, she said on the red carpet for the GQ Man of the Year's Award on Thursday night. I think maybe it'll be something nice. And if he doesn't, I don't think we should hold him accountable. I think we should just remember and forgive him. Um, Hart said in the Instagram video on Thursday that they gave him an ultimatum, apologize or lose the gig. And he said he decided to pass on giving an apology. Quote, the reason why I passed is because I've addressed this several times, he said. This is not the first time this has come up. I've addressed it. I've spoken on it. I've said where the rights and wrongs are. I've said who I am now versus who I am then. I've done it. I'm pausing there for effect because just the next day, he stepped down. Uh, from the Academy Awards and apologize for saying the transphobic, homophobic things that he said uh, on Twitter and in his comedy routine. First of all, if you had done that in the first place, it would have been all good. I don't understand why the pride got in your way where you were like, I'm not going to apologize. And you're just like, I'm going to step down and apologize. Two birds, one stone. Secondly, I have a question for y'all. From what I've been reading today, his trash-ass opinions were all in 2011 and before, before he became famous. And after he became famous, he stopped using such slurs and whatnot in his comedy routines and in Twitter. Mm -hmm. MJ Rodriguez said that he should be forgiven. India Moore said that he should be ashamed of himself. Glad uh, said that he shouldn't have stepped down. Instead, he should have stepped up uh, as the Oscars host. 
they said that uh, Hart's apology to LGBTQ people is an important step forward, but he missed a real opportunity to use his platform and the Oscar stage to build unity and awareness. Where do y'all stand on it? I don't really know. I'm sorry, Shantae. Did you have some? No, go ahead. Oh, um, I don't really know about, um, you know, the any previous him addressing this or anything like that. I mean, I would I would have to assume that uh, with Twitter being what it is and Kevin Hart being as big as he is, like there's some validity to the. Yeah, this has been brought up before and I've addressed it before, but now that you know, they're pulling me onto this stage. Somebody has decided let's, let's, you know, call Kevin to the, to the carpet again. Right. Like, like I think there's some validity to that of, okay, maybe some of y'all are first hearing this now, but I was already kind of called on this, but on the other side of it, it's like, um, I kind of, I kind of lean on, um, on on the Kid Fury uh, opinion of this is, you know, if if you gonna be shit, just you know, stand in your shittiness. Like, I if the hat, second part hadn't come around of okay, now I'm gonna apologize and step down, I just would have been like, okay, fine, good for you, Kevin Hart. Like, you acknowledge, yep, I said some shitty things. Nope, I'm good. I'm in a good place. I'm not gonna apologize. If y'all want to take this thing from me, take it from me. If you want to give it to me, give it to me. But I've already been there, I've already done that, and I'm good. Like, I would respect that because it's a whole lot better than, oh, I don't remember ever saying anything like that, and, uh, you know, the, blah, 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 some kind of excuse. It's just like, stand in your shittiness. So I was good up until he then turned around and apologized. I'm like, oh, well, then I don't understand what you're doing. You should have just done it in the first place. Shanta? Okay, one of the things that I've read, and I guess I'm assuming that this is like a previous time when somebody was like, yo, you was out here saying transphobic and homophobic stuff. And Kevin Hart said that he wouldn't do it again because audiences are more sensitive now than, or they weren't as sensitive then as they are now. And that to me, like if that's what got it, like if that's if that's part of him saying like I addressed it before, that to me does not say I realize that what I'm saying or what I have said is harmful and dangerous and contributes to people being killed and, you know, mistreated and all that different kind of stuff. It's just like it just sounds like you know, oh, this is inappropriate, so I'm not going to say it anymore, but I, you know, but there's like this this chance that you still believe the shit, mm-hmm. or you thought the shit was funny. You know, like you still think the shit is funny. You know, that kind of thing. And I guess it just, it just, it didn't feel like he, it feel, it, like if he had said, I feel like if he had apologized and had said something to that effect, like, yes, I've addressed this before, and I realize where I fucked up. I realize that, you know, this type of, you know, that I should not be perpetuating homophobia and transphobia 
against, you know, marginalized communities and all, you know, just whatever, you know, whatever, even if his publicist had put it together, I think this probably would have went over differently. Right now, it just seems like I said it and I shouldn't have said it and I'm sorry, you know, but not that he's learned anything or that he's changed as a person. At least at this point, it doesn't it doesn't seem like it? And also, the shit that he like, I saw something, and it was talking about how one of the tweets were uh, about like if his son was doing some like playing with something that I guess is girly, he would break that girly thing over the kid's head or something. So it was like some really yeah, fucked up stuff. Yeah, you know. It was like really, really mean and dangerous and just in line with the worst of the worst when it comes to people interacting with uh, LGBTQIA people. And it's just like, this is not okay. And I see why people were just like, yo, what the fuck, you know, what the fuck is this? Even if, you know, even if it had been addressed before, and it probably has been addressed before, because people don't, you know, people don't forget stuff, you know, and that's just, uh-uh. Then, also, then, and I didn't necessarily see it, you know, at least back then, but I guess also Kevin Hart was out of pocket with, uh, I guess he made dark skin jokes again for black women, too. Like, somebody addressed that, too, because they were basically like, look, I know he's out of pocket with this, too, but he been out of pocket with all, you know, he been out of pocket with us, too, and that's why I don't give a fuck what's happening to him, you know. So, there's that, too. It's just, eh, I mean, I don't So, can we, um, I'm sorry, um, I keep thinking things. Can we then have, like, a conversation about just how not even just toxic masculinity, but how toxic historically, and I and by historically I mean going back the last you know thirty or so years, black comedy has been. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh Because yeah. I mean, it's it, it, at this point you could look at any major major comedian going back, you know last 30 years and most of their material i mean is beyond problematic it would be it's violent right and it was just that was just what it was so um how how do we continue to evolve that as well where it's like like you were saying shantae it's like maybe kevin hart still thinks this would be funny but the audiences won't laugh now, so I'm just gonna have to keep my my what I think is funny jokes to myself, as opposed to really making like that that uh, evolution or transition to like, yo, if you're black and a comedian, you don't have to and you shouldn't because it never was funny and it's not ever gonna be funny to marginalize even more marginalized people than you in order to get a laugh. Because that's basically been black comedy for, you know, my lifetime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I don't I don't know. Because, like, somebody brought up, what is it? I guess it was Delirious. Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy's Delirious. And I guess he's saying the F-bomb. 
oh yes left and right you know and that's the you know that's the 80s and everything and i feel but i mean you watch all these 80s movies and they're saying the f-bomb left and right and people have just i think i don't know i guess maybe because it maybe because here's kevin hart saying it in 2011 you know that it's not the 80s that there's enough people saying hey this isn't okay that maybe that's why he's being called to the carpet and maybe more people will be called to the carpet. Like, I don't see anybody calling Eddie Murphy to the carpet, you know, behind Delirious at this point. Mm -hmm. You know, but for Kevin Hart, because of the time that he's saying, it's like, you know what it is? You know what it reminds me of? It's like you got people on Twitter, and just this is, obviously this is Twitter shit, but you got people on Twitter who talk about uh I guess like that 2009 2000 between 2009 2012 13 time on Twitter where you know they call it the wild wild west of Twitter where you could just say all kinds of shit and do all you know just be really out of pocket and everything and they make it seem like it was okay then, but the fact is, it just it wasn't okay then. It's just that you came, you were around enough people that made it seem like it was cool, but it wasn't okay that you were making these jokes or, you know, being you know being transphobic or being homophobic and all this different kind of stuff. And so, yeah, it's just it's it's hard to. I don't know. It's hard to be like, oh man, Kevin Hart, like, oh, that was a long time ago. It's just like, it doesn't feel like it was that long ago. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like, because I mean, you got, because there's enough people, there's enough situations where other people may have been called to task for their homophobia to where you, as a person who holds these thoughts, might have to say, well, damn, should I be saying that? Should I be, should I be doing that? Like, you should have been thinking that shit through. Mm-hmm. While somebody else was going through their time on the carpet, right? Well, so what I'm thinking more of is, um, so a lot of these things were things he said before he was famous, right? And so, before you're famous as a comedian, you're trying to get famous, which means you're playing to the audiences you can get in front of, which you know, it's it's the comedy shack, it's the laugh house, it's wherever it is that for a black comedian where the ratchet audience is at. I I wonder how much, how many of the comedians that aren't famous yet that are going to be famous here in the next three, four, five years will end up ten years from now in a situation where they can host the Oscars or the Emmys and people are still going to be calling them to the carpet for stuff they said a decade ago because as black comedians, they played to that, uh, you know, homophobic, transphobic, misogynistic, black comedy room right but to try to get famous because like you said and like i guess kevin says like once he gets once you get above a certain level you can't tell the same jokes you told before but how do we get to the point where the same jokes you told before aren't trash jokes how do we evolve that because i i in my head think that there's probably still a bunch of soon to be famous black comedians out there making these jokes in comedy clubs, getting big laughs, going to get discovered someday. But that's just kind of, that's 
the black comedian culture? How do we change that? How do we- Yeah, I don't I don't know how we change I don't I don't know how we change it because it feels like well one, it feels like homophobia and transphobia is very pervasive as far as jokes are concerned. Because like I feel like you listen to Ricky Smiley in the morning and it's his shit falls it can go into that direction at times and everything. And he's a bit I mean he's been doing comedy for at least two decades and he's still you know but he's got his own radio show mm-hmm. you know and it's but but a lot of the shit is like bottom of the barrel stuff and i just don't i don't know if one i think part of it is religion you know you got people you got black people who are who profess to be religious and at the same time part of that in being religious is to look down on people who are who are part of the LGBTQIA community. Mm-hmm. Like that's just automatic. Like you know, it's just it's right there. You know, for people who think that they're religious, and I think that's what. And and that's another thing with Ricky Smiley. I think Ricky Smiley professes to be a religious person. You know, but that shit, his jokes and stuff, veer into you know, into hateful shit depending on the community is the target. So I don't I don't know. I don't want to I guess I don't want to I don't think that we have I, I guess I don't think as black people we don't have to be homophobic. We don't have to be transphobic. You know, these are this these are people that we grow up with. These are people that we hang out with, these are people that we go to school with, these are people that we see every day. We don't have to be homophobic and we don't have to be transphobic. And I think it begins with it it honestly I think some of sometimes it begins like this in these types of situations where it's just like, yo, I don't want to watch that. Yo, this dude is fucked up. I don't want to no, this is this makes me feel some kind of way. I got friends over here who I care about and I'm over here giggling. At this, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's wild just seeing this transformation happening right now. Because um, while I am not uh, religious at all, you know, I just like almost every other black person. I grew up in the church, and I still have a lot of friends who are very, you know, very Christian, and they are also friends who are also very pro LGBTQ uh, community, and just hearing their you know when you can see the wheels turning when people are talking when they're trying to to um reconcile two things that one thing that they've been taught their whole life that just never felt right and then one thing that feels right that they know is right but then they they they're stuck with the but if i if i say this out loud i'm acknowledging that i think that a huge portion of what i was taught my whole life was bullshit Mm-hmm. And it's like just seeing that evolution. I think we're seeing a lot of that now in in our circles, in our communities, with people who are who are like, okay, so that whole part of this is bullshit, and this part too, and this part too, and I'm completely leaving this stuff behind. But they're still trying to hold on to the religion, and it's I don't know. I think we're going in the right direction, but it is it it if you want to be a good human being. And you want to actually love people the way that your religion says that you're supposed to, like 
there's a whole bunch of soul searching that has to go down with well do is this religion really a thing that i want to be associated with and i'm seeing a lot of in my circles i'm seeing a lot of people walking and working through that right now and they're they're moving towards the right side of it um but i don't think that has happened to this scale in the past at least in the black community sure sure also another thing too and this is more about jokes and stuff i think people have to like obviously i am not a comedian but there's got to be a way to tell jokes without punching down mm, i think mm. it's what i think that's really what it is i think you have comedians who are committed to their joke and they're committed to their material but it's like but you're but don't realize it's just like you're punching down it's just like how what is your material if you're not punching down it's just mm. like are you really funny because maybe you're not if you can only make homophobic jokes transphobic jokes and everything but you can't make jokes about everyday life or something you know so, just something else that isn't punching down then maybe you're not really funny I read something a couple hours ago actually um, uh, about two white Com comedians that I guess I should look forward to seeing at some point. Uh, and they were talking, like, it wasn't trying to make a delineation. It didn't say anything about race. It didn't say black comedians, this or that. But it said, just like you said, how uh, comedians, we think that comedians can only be funny if they are talking about somebody else or talking about LGBTQIA or punching down or whatever it may be. But um, if I remember correctly, John Mulvaney uh, did a bit about the capture things you have to do to log into websites. Mm -hmm. And somebody else did a, a long-running joke about Hot Pockets. And they're both hilarious. So I need to go out and find these uh, comedians because I don't know if it's age or what, but no, it's it's the growth that Gerald always talks about on Unburdened. Um, I used to love to listen to uh, the Foxhole, Jamie Foxx's comedy station on Sirius, and now it's Kevin Hart's something or other. I forget what it's called, but it's a stupid name. Because um, they used to have, they'd have clips of... of of bits of black comedy, white comedy, whatever was funny. So Eddie Murphy's Delirious was on there, and Red Fox, and Richard Pryor, who, unpopular opinion, I've never found him funny. <laughs> but that's just a me thing. Um, Kevin Hart, and Gary Owens, and anybody else, you know, whoever had a funny bit, they will put them on there. A lot of misogyny. Mm-hmm. A lot of uh, homophobia, transphobia, including the part where Eddie Murphy comes out and delirious. And the very first joke or the very first thing he says isn't a joke. It's a discriminatory rule that he thinks needs to be said about gay people looking at his butt. Mm -hmm. They play that on there. And last year, 
I would have told you, that's my number one station on Sirius. I listen to it all the time. This year, I tried to listen to it, and I was like, it doesn't do anything for me. And I'm not getting on people who it does do something for it, but I am. Like the same way that we, I don't know, I I, I just, I, I feel strongly about giving folks a pass on that, but standing hard on people who listen to R. Kelly. Like, I get on people who listen to R. Kelly, like, you know that's fucked up what he's done, right? Like, you know his history. But somebody says, I just watched Delirious, and I thought it was hilarious. And you're like, eh, it was. I think the people at this day and age, though, are so scared of uh, toppling golden... Uh, Golden fleeces, like like taking down somebody's favorite, like toppling an idol that we don't say anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially if they're black folks, like black folks are protected by their fans. Like we have people who will stand. That's that's you know they will stand for anybody that they find interesting or provoking or funny. So you're scared to say something about say Dave Chappelle. And how one of his comedy routines was nothing but homophobic jokes and rape jokes and Bill Cosby. Because you don't want to get dragged by his fans on Twitter. But we're in the day and age where, honestly, honestly, we're in the day and age where if you don't speak up, you're doing everybody an injustice. A disservice. I'm not going to say that not speaking up is... Uh, one of the biggest issues in the world, but damn it, it's close. Between Me Too, where all we find out that all these people literally stood by and watched as these women were sexually harassed, where these men were sexually harassed, where they were sexually assaulted, uh, to people who stand by and just listen to Donald Trump and don't say nothing. It's just become the thing to just stand by and hope that nobody notices you're there, but you're going to have to stand up and be accounted. At some point, either good or bad, like, why didn't you stand up and say something when this was happening? And you're going to have to take responsibility for your actions. And that's where Kevin Hart was. And from what I've heard, all of a sudden, as soon as people started talking about this, as soon as he made, as soon as he got chosen for the Oscars, and people started talking about his tweets, all of a sudden his tweets started disappearing. Mm Mm-hmm. Because he knew, or exactly. somebody, or somebody knew, because that's the other thing, too. It's just like, you one, he should have been deleted them tweets. Mm-hmm. Like, been deleted the tweets. Because, like, he's been, you know, Kevin Hart in big lights, you know, for a while. Mm-hmm. For a long time. He should have, like, it's who, whenever he got called out for the type of jokes he was making, it should have been search, keyword, you know, whatever the keywords are, and he should have been deleting tweets. It should have been over with. You know, but you know, we are where we are now. But at the same, this is the other thing, and because I was thinking of you talking about the whole protection thing that I think some black people do around their fave, and just people in general do around their fave and everything. It's like I don't know. Like people need to one let their fave take a L. You know. Let your fave get taken. You know, if your fave gets called to the carpet, they're not going to die. 
by getting called to the carpet. Like, this is the thing as far, especially with Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart has a movie coming out. And, you know, Kevin Hart was addressing all this stuff. He's on tour, I think, in Australia. So he's working. Like, even with him not getting this particular gig, he's going to be fine. And that's what's fucked up about a lot of these people, even when we call, when we take them to task. They bounce back. So there's no reason for you to get all like, oh my god, they're trying to take another black man down. We need to protect him. Oh man, these white people. Oh, they didn't care about this or that. Just like, ah, fuck that shit, man. Let him, let him take that L. And also, white people, you know, they own some bullshit too, as far as this is concerned. Because I think like two weeks ago or last week, Kevin Hart did like a a uh, Kevin Hart and his wife. I think they had like a Cowboys and Indian themed birthday party for the child. So like Native American people were like, "Yo, that's fucked up." And on Kevin Thanksgiving, Hart, yeah, and Kevin Hart was like basically like "fuck out of here," you know, as far as that was concerned. But now here's white people upset, you know, as far as at least that's what it seems like. Some people are saying like, "Here's these people." you know, take, trying to take him to task and everything. So it's just, you know, motherfuckers be inconsistent. And Kevin Hart is on some bull. And Kevin Hart is clear, but Kevin Hart is consistently on some bullshit. That's really what it is. So let him get in trouble. Mm-hmm. Still gonna be, I mean, he's still paid. He's still rich. It'll exactly. be okay. Ain't nothing gonna change. Ain't nothing gonna change. She's gonna fall away. Like somebody said, nobody gets canceled. I think Karen says that. Karen says that. Ain't nobody going nowhere. So, it is what it is. Gerald, go ahead and do your (gasps) shout-outs. Yay! Shout-out to Shante and Derek and Stephanie and Charmaine and... um, Oh, I'm on the spot. Who else I want to shout out to? I mean, really, y'all are all who I listen to nowadays, so that's it. And um, shout out to, you know what? I'm going to give a shout out to all of my babies out there. I got three of them in the house, and I got one that's 17, and I love all of them so very much. And every single day, they teach me something else because we have grown-up conversations in my house even though my youngest is six because you know we don't talk to them like babies so shout out to all of them Shante yeah shout out to to Gerald for being on the show tonight and shout out to Rashani as always and and shout out to everybody who you know listens to the show and and shares the show and is working on being a better person each day. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. some days you're going to get called to the carpet and all you can do is is learn from that moment and try not to be defensive about it and and try to be better and and try to accept how people deal with you after, you know, being called to the carpet. Mhm. Christmas is coming, winter is here Take care of your friends Take care of your family uh, You don't have to be overbearing You don't have to be too distant Just be there if they need you uh, I don't want you to ever be the last to know 
Uh, I'd rather you be the first one to uh, help them find help. Single Simulcast, episode 325. Uh, I am blessed to be here with Shantae. I'm blessed to have Gerald on the show with us. And I'm blessed that y'all are listening. Y'all be good. We're out. Peace. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know my name, and you slipped.